Welcome. You're listening to the Heritage Podcast. To learn more about Heritage, including meeting times and upcoming events, visit us online at www.heritageff.org. Now, let's get into today's podcast. Amen. Praise God. Well, now let's uh, look at this and uh, let's go over to the Gospel of Luke. We were over there uh, a little while ago, uh, last week and the week before, and we've been dealing with this in the course of the season that we're in. And uh, look at, at um, if you will, at Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. And I want you to see something here. Verse 26 of chapter 1. These are the classic verses for these hours, for these times. But I want you to not just look at them as Christmas messages. I want you to see that this is the beginning. This, remember, this is the, uh, the alpha of our salvation right here. In other words, this is how it started. And so we read right in here, as it came into the natural flesh. Notice this. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God and unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with, with thee. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at the same, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. In other words, I've not had this. I'm 15 years old. How do I... How do I deal with this? I've had a visitation here, and he's saying to me, I'm highly favored. And he said, God has sent you to me. Talk to me. I'm never, what kind of communication is this? How, how do we deal with this? Now, you will never understand this. Go to the Gospel of John for just one moment, and look at John chapter 4 with me. John's Gospel, chapter 4. And uh, let's, let's pull this out, and uh, uh, where this verse of Scripture, where Jesus was dealing with the woman, at the, at the well. And uh, notice what she says. Uh, look at verse 20. Jesus was dealing with a woman at the well. And while he was talking to this woman at the well, he began to talk with her, confront her. Now, number one, as a man, Jewish man, you don't talk to women by the well when you're by themselves. Number two, understanding the woman was a Samaritan woman. She was the outcast of the community. She was a, uh, what you would call a half-breed, if we could use that term. She was Jewish, and then uh, so because of it, the Jews didn't accept her because of the other side of the, of the uh, racial situation. So don't think that it was just now in 2020. People are doing, they're doing this back in the day. And so they were saying, no, listen, because of your, your mixed blood in there, you can only go get water in the afternoon. It's reserved for the Jewish people in the morning where it's cooler and the late evening where it's cooler. But during the it's hottest, you go, you Samaritans, that's when you go. And so she was getting dry water. Jesus was by the well. He already sent his disciples to go get some food. So while they were doing a little bit of history here. So while they were do, gone, Jesus walks over and begins to converse with this woman. And we all know the story that he says, uh, where's your husband? She goes, well, I, yeah, I don't have one. He goes, that's right. And the four you've had, uh, they're passed away. And the, and the other one uh, you're living with, that's not your husband either. So she said, oh, man, you're a prophet. Well, it didn't take much to know that she was right on, that he, was, he was right on with that whole scenario. But I want you to see something very important in here. And sometimes we look at this verse, and I want you to see something that, that we, that's crucial, to, especially to this understanding of the gospel. Notice verse 19. And the woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, I want you to hold that word that she said, I perceive thou art a prophet. Hold on to that. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you say in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. For you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is that the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. Amen. Now look at that. That's a powerful verse. I want you to major on one highlight of word, wording in here. And he, number one, he says, you, don't, you worship, you know not what. A better rendering, you worship, since you know not what you're worshiping, you do not know how to worship. So your emphasis is that if you lack the Hosea, prophet Hosea chapter tells us this. He said, for lack of knowledge, my people are destroyed. So without accurate scriptural knowledge, you can't function normally in what you want to do. So if you don't know what worship is, you won't know how to worship, and you won't receive the benefits of this worship. How do we understand that? Now watch this. This is powerful. He makes this statement, 
uh, he said, uh, he makes the reference of this in verse 23. The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers, highlight that, underline that, true worshipers. So here's what God's looking for. God's looking for true worshipers. True worshipers worship. He's not looking for worship. He's looking for true worshipers. Because true worshipers are producing true worship. Amen? So worshipers are individuals that know it's not a song. It's not a melody. It's not a rhythm, naturally. It can be part of that, but that's not it. So worship in itself is not it. But how, how do we get that? How do we get to the worshipers? Watch the next part of it. Shall worship the Father in spirit. There it is right there. Worship the Father in spirit. Now, there's a spiritual matters. The, the emphasis is this. There's so much um, um, money making today on supernatural things. Anytime you hear the word supernatural, people think of monsters, ghosts, vampires, uh, all kinds of zombies. They think of uh, uh, all kinds of aspects of the living dead coming out of the graveyards and all kinds. Anytime you hear the word supernatural, witches, warlocks, uh, all kinds of uh, conjurings. And uh, you, know, you see all these movies that are coming out. Everybody thinks that way. And therefore, when we use the word supernatural in the church, people don't like it. But the first person who was spiritual and supernatural was God. Because nothing exists without God. God didn't create all these foul spirits and all that. But what God did, God is a spirit. So he said, if you want to worship me, you've got to do it in spirit. And you will never gain any knowledge reading that Bible in the natural. That is not a Reader's Digest. That's not an encyclopedia. There's history in it, but it's not a history book. But it's historical. You can find that. Archaeologists are digging all the time and finding facts that our scriptures are accurate. Amen? They're always, in, they're always searching for something new. Facts about Jesus. Facts about Jesus. Well, they, if, they, if there weren't facts about Jesus and he didn't exist, why are they searching for him? Am I right? He exists. He's alive. Everybody, listen, do you know the number one book in the world stolen from any natural place? I'm, no, I'm not talking download. I'm talking naturally. Pick up a f- book. The Bible. The number one book. Listen, I don't know if you realize this or not. You do not have to go to school to learn how to be belligerent. Nobody has to go to school. Nobody has to go to school to learn to go to Selfishness 101. Just watch a child. That's my toy. They don't play with it till somebody else picks it up. Another child picks that's mine. They haven't touched it in, in two months, three months. And then some other child walks into the house. Oh, that's mine. All of a sudden, it's mine. That's the way some people are. That's the way some Christians are. That's my chair. That's my seat. And so that, that's my song. I mean, there's just, just a variety of different things. Now watch this. In the realm of the Spirit, the most important thing you'll ever understand, get to understand, is the virgin birth. So how will this ever happen? I'm glad you asked that. The Bible said, well, let me show you the verse. We're in Luke again. Go back to the Gospel of Luke. Are we there? Luke, watch this. And he makes this statement of this. Go to Luke chapter 1. Let me give you verse 37. Now you've got to catch this in the Spirit. He said, for with God nothing shall be impossible. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. So how can this ever happen? In the, in, watch this. With God, nothing's impossible. But you won't understand that unless you get over to that word spirit. Now, we are a spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body. The virgin birth will never be understood in the natural. It can't be understood in the natural. You can't scientifically go prove it, and you can't disprove it. Here's what we got is the Bible, and this you take on the substance of faith. I believe this to be true. I see people believe and think about this. And no other word, when somebody hits themselves with a hammer, nobody says, oh, Buddha. Nobody says Confucius. They might have been confused when they hit themselves, but they, were, they don't yell Confucius. When somebody hits themselves, stubs their toe, they go, oh, Jesus. That name is so inherent on the inside of us if we would just say it right. Just say that name right. That name is so powerful. I mean, listen, it's, it's a powerful name. When you think of that name, people name them. It's Spanish. we got all kinds of Jesuses running around. Amen. When I go to Mexico, Jesus is everywhere. And so you see that. And then you got a lot of Marys. And people like that word, even in Spanish. They did my, one daughter Mary and the other one Maria. You know, it's the same word. 
It's the same word. But watch this. He makes a statement in here. He said, um, it's in the spirit. You'll understand this. In order for you to get this, this virgin birth and a concept of this and understand about the virgin birth, it won't won't, won't, uh, mean anything as you go further. Now, I want to prove something to you here. Go to Luke chapter 24 and let's look at, let me take you through a journey here. Luke chapter 24, if you will. And we're going to read verses uh, 13. We're going to start at verse 13. Luke 24, verse 13. And we're going to read into the 28th verse. Uh, Luke chapter 13. We're going to read quite a few verses with me today, okay? I want to establish the reality of Jesus Christ. Now watch this. And behold, two of them, this is on the road of Emmaus, after Jesus died, it was, and uh, uh, two men were walking, behold, two of them went on the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together, and all these things which, he, which had happened. Now watch this. They talked about them to each other, and they were conversing about what happened to Jesus. And while they're conversing, something happens. And the eyes, watch this, and it came to pass that while they were communing together and, uh, and uh, reasoning, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. They were talking about Jesus, and Jesus drew near. They were talking about him, and he drew near. Now, think about this. If he drew near while they were talking about him, think about the scripture wherever two more agree. As touching anything, you should ask the Father that he'll be there. Just two of you coming together, I'll be in your midst. So now watch this. These guys come, um, this is a very important account here. Now watch this. And it came to pass, he communed, in response, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, and their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And when he said to them, what manner of communication are these that you're having one another and as you walk, and why are you so sad? You're having a conversation about Jesus, but why are you so sad? And then one of them said, uh, his name was Cleopas, answer, he said, art thou only the stranger in Jerusalem, and you don't know the things which just came to pass in these days? And he said to them, what things? Watch this. What things? You're talking about things that came to pass. What things? Because if you were talking the right things, you wouldn't be sad. Are you listening to me? There's some Christians who speak verses, but they're sad. I know all's going to be well, and they're still sad. He's the God of my hope, and they're still sad. He's the God of joy, of everlasting, and they're still sad. He's my anchor, but I'm sinking. See, they quote the verse, but there's no connection to it because it's being voiced from a a natural reasoning, a mental assenting of the word, rather than a spiritual flow, something that automatically just flows out of here. Not something out of memory, but just flows from your spirit, man. Now watch this. He said, what things? And they said unto him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Now watch this. Concerning, underline that. Concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Wait a minute. Not Jesus on the cross. Jesus of Nazareth. They were talking about Jesus of Nazareth. The man, the boy, the baby. Now watch this. Which was a prophet. Oh, there you go. Underline that. Which was a prophet. In that manger was a prophet. And they were talking about things they didn't understand. What things? What things? And uh, mighty indeed. What things? Watch this. And word. Not the words spoken. The word. In that manger was the word. What things? Watch this. And before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to, the, to be condemned to death. And, ha- and have him crucified. And we trusted in that he, be, he would, that he which would, should uh, redeem Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things are done. And yea, a certain woman also in our company made us, made us astonished, with a, which were, watch this, which were earlier at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body came, saying that they had also had seen a vision of angels, which said he was alive. Well, if, if you saw those things, heard those things, why are you sad? Now think about that. It doesn't matter if you're there, these men on the road of Emmaus, maybe you're on the road of 5, 405, 605, 57, maybe Imperial Highway, maybe Harbor Boulevard. It doesn't matter what street you're on. This gets you on your street. What are you singing about in your car, on the bus, on the train? 
in the back of that motorcycle. What are you doing? What are you talking about around your table? How, how valuable are the words you speak? How rich are they? How worthful are they? How worshipful are they? Now watch this. What things? He said, man, listen, beyond that, Jesus died. This is the third day. We thought he was going to come back alive. But these women, they were part of our company, came and told us he was gone. He was gone. And now, you know, he, he, we don't know. He goes, but you're sad about this? Now watch this. Watch it. And they found out a body saying they had seen a vision. They had seen a vision of angels. Now notice when they saw the account, the Bible didn't say they had a, they had a vision. But when they told the story, we had a visitation. And in the vision, the angel said to us, and watch this, and a certain of them which were with the sepulcher found him, even so as the woman had said unto him. And then they said to him, O fools, watch this, he said, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And they be, watch this, now here's where I want you to go. Remember, remember we're talking about, and the angel appeared. Now watch this. And at the beginning of Moses, at the beginning of Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Stop. On the road of Emmaus, Jesus, while they're walking, says, what things are you guys talking about? And they start off with this. This Jesus of Nazareth. And they end up with the visitation of the angels. He got crucified. Third day he was supposed to rise. And then we have two women. We got our brethren that went and testified it was so. And Jesus said, oh, you foolish of heart. Why are you so slow to believe? There's a question we have to ask a lot of humanity. And then we also have to ask a lot of Christians. Why are you so slow to believe? It's what you believe. What you believe on the inside of you is what leads you and guides you. See, my belief system was so strong, I had to quit what I was doing in the world. Amen. I mean, I didn't, I didn't go from being a, uh, a child and then wear a suit and preach. That's not how it worked. I mean, I ran the streets, and I used to tell my children, listen, I'm, uh, I sin more for most of you guys than my sons. I said, I said, I said more, you don't know the stories that I, I have, all of them, all the stuff I went through. But once I made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life, when I was going on 18 and a half, that ended. So here I am right now. When I turned 21, I didn't rush to a bar. I didn't need to. I didn't need to. Today, coming to this church, every time I come to church, every time I go to the market, in my market now, where I'm at right now, aisle 16 and 17 is the liquor department. That's the aisle. They call it spirits. There's spirits on that aisle. That's a, that's a, that's a real term. Spirits. Amen. And so, and listen, and for many of these people, that that's their spirit, their bartender is their pastor. Because they'll go in there and pay them, and they get advice. Amen? They hear words. Well, I've never been in a club. I've never been. I've never been. Don't miss it. Don't know what I'm missing. It's to see, that's why I want to be a Christian, because you guys don't have no fun. Seriously? I'm, I Listen. Never mind. Don't listen to that. That's my old life. That's not my testimony. That's what I used to. That's what Satan had me. Now watch this. The scripture said in here, he made the statement unto them, in, into them. He's, oh fools, verse 27, and slow of heart to believe. All the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and entered glory? Then at the beginning of Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures that concerning himself. Concerning himself. Now think about it. Jesus took a big text from Moses all the way to the prophets, all the way through all the scriptures, and came, and every scripture was pointing to himself. Then the scripture said their eyes were open. That's when they saw who we were walking with. When they saw, oh, that's you. That's you. You're the one through Moses, everything that we've been talking about. Now think with you, all of a sudden, you're talking to the man that you're talking about. And he's asking, what do you got to say about the man? What things? And why are you so sad while you're talking about it? Man, it's, it, there's nothing worse for me than to see a sad preacher. Okay, let's open our Bibles. Hopefully it works. You know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I don't know. God may be real, God may not be real. I don't know. Man, that's so sad. I think it's sad when they get up and give you uh, 20 jokes. This isn't what this is about. 
This is what they said. Now, here's three things that you want to get. I want to get you three points in these three, but I'm going to major on one. Three points, but I want you to write them down. Uh, when Jesus began to do this, the three main points, he said, here's what they said to him. Uh, what things? Here's what they said. Jesus of Nazareth. All right. That means he talked about the conception and the birth and his mother and, and father. He dealt with this. Jesus, while he was talking, dealt with the fact I was born of a virgin, as the prophets say. And he began to quote scripture after scripture, prophet after prophet. He began to expound to them all the things that he did, like Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah said, Unto you a child will be born, and unto you a son will be given. I'm right here. I'm right here. He quoted the verses of scripture about himself. He was the one that was wounded for your transgressions and bruised for your iniquities. I'm right here. Everything he was quoting was about himself. And the Bible said it opened up. So number one, he talked about his conception. He talked about his birth. Number two, he talked about his obedience and his suffering. Philippians makes the statement that uh, he, even in obedience, he went unto death. And then number three, his glory and his honor and the conferred title upon him, which was given in great respect, so he could bestow it on others. Three things, his conception and his birth. Number two, his obedience and his suffering. Number three, his glory, his honor, that was conferred, titled, and accomplished and accompanied with great respect. When Jesus talked to them, this is what he talked to them about. Now imagine that Jesus confronted two men, and here's what he did. You will never know who I am. That's why you're sad. That's why you're talking about things and they're not clicking. Because you know the scripture, but you don't know the spirit of the scripture. And so the letter of the law that you're reading is keeping the Messiah dead to you. You don't see the promise alive and hope given to you. It's not alive to you. This prophet, this, this promise is yours now. It is true that I did die. It's true. That's true. I had to die a death. I had to die this death. But I couldn't die the death till I first came in through the virgin birth. That was the entry point. And so women are the, I've said this for years, are the umbilical cord between heaven and earth. That's what God used to get to earth. That's why Satan is so defeated, he doesn't have a mother. Just one natural simple fact. Now, in other words, another way to put this is, the whole Old Testament was about Jesus and he pointed it out. Every, this, every book was about Jesus and that's pure and simple. You can find the virgin birth, you can find his manifestations, his healings, deliverance, all through the scriptures, everything. Now in the Old Testament, listen close, in the Old Testament, they had prophets that they, God, God utilized. God used prophets and he used priests to minister to them. Then during the course of time, the children of Israel decided, give me a king. So he became, they, they elected a king. And then God spoke to him, you're going to deal with this issue because you wanted it so bad, you got a natural king. I gave you prophets and I gave you priests. But your kings will distance themselves and won't listen to the prophets anymore. And they won't listen to the priests. And eventually what they're going to do, which they did, is that they're going to get their own priests and their own prophets to prophesy their way. And that's usually what they do. So they paid them for that. So all you need is one prophet to stir a nation and they'll hire 750 as proven in Scripture. And so here, it's specifying God's plan. Now watch this. John chapter 2, verse 11. Go there for just a moment. John's gospel, chapter 2, verse 11. God, God manifested himself in the flesh. And we read this in scripture. And when he did this, in that virgin birth, when they, when they saw this. Now watch this. In the beginning of miracles did Jesus in Canaan of Galilee and manifest his glory and his disciples believed on him. Now I want you to major on this. Manifested his glory. He was the container of the glory while he was in the manger. But it took a duration of time for him to come into that post where he could step out and then manifest it. But when they were looking at that child, they were all, he, he was already drawing people to him. You know what's so interesting? Uh, I think you all know this. Psalm 23. And we could all quote probably verse 1 together. Even if you're not a born-again believer, people could quote that verse. The Lord is... My shepherd. The psalmist wrote that. David, the psalmist wrote that. Come on, say that with me. The Lord is my shepherd. What a revelation that is. 
It's a powerful revelation. David was a shepherd. And he knew the life of a shepherd. And he knew sheep. He knew how sheep functioned. And David, from the lineage, according to Matthew's gospel, which everybody doesn't like to not read, it's called, and the begats, and so-and-so begats, so-and-so begats, so-and-so. But the reason they don't, don't do that is they don't like the history of the names and how they came down. Study that out. And there's a woman in Scripture, most people don't, they don't realize, all the, all the individuals in there. And one of them is a woman, everybody knows, Rahab. Remember Rahab? Yeah, she's in that line. She's in that line. She's one of the begats. She's in there. Because God has mercy on everybody and needs everybody in their point. So he brings everybody in. And so the begats are important. But in there he says, and David, and Jesus was Jesus the king was born, was begotten from the line of David. David Jesus the king from the line of David, which was king. And then it goes all then it says, and to Abraham. He's from the seed of Abraham. Gives you a very important description. So in this verse of scripture, the manifested of the glory was king talk. This is king talk. So when Jesus was in that manger, the Lord is my shepherd. Who's in that, who's in that manger? The shepherd. He's called the, he calls himself the great shepherd. He refers to himself as the, let me rephrase that. He referred to himself as the good shepherd. Peter expounds on it and said, the great shepherd. But he's called the good shepherd, the great shepherd. I'm referred to in scripture as the under shepherd. So the great shepherd is Jesus Christ. When we get to heaven, you're not going to want me as the chief shepherd. No congregant is going to want their natural shepherd, their pastor, as their shepherd in heaven. Now when you see Jesus face to face. Amen? No, you, they won't do that. You're, nobody's going to want to do that. Now watch this. So in the beginning, so we see Jesus suffering through the shedding of blood, purchasing our salvation, but he was born a savior. But there had to be a process by which we had to come that way. His glory, or better, better stated, his birth and resurrection restored, uh, restored him from humanity to deity. He had to go through that process to do that. Here we are, born of the natural, and we get born again. We're born into spiritual matters. And we're born with a divine level on our lives. Matthew chapter 24, verse 30 makes this statement. Matthew 24, 30, look at this. Jesus spoke and gave the greatest text about who he was. And he did it in a short amount of time. Matthew 24, 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see this man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. When Jesus was born, he was born on earth. He came out of heaven. He was born in power and great glory. But the next time Jesus returned, he's not coming as a child. He's not coming through the avenue of a natural birth. He's coming riding a white horse. So that's what we call it, the second coming. His first coming came to identify with humanity. His second coming's come to identify us with deity. So when he comes, we'll be drawn up. That's why we'll be yanked out of this earth. Those of us which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the air. But in order for him to do that, Jesus had to be caught up in the flesh. He had to come down and then become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. So in this particular statement, right from the start, he presented himself as the climax and the fulfillment of Scripture. At the beginning of it, he was, he was the beginning. He's, this is how it starts right in here. This is how it starts. And the fulfillment of Scripture. So who is this child? Well, let's look at this. Think about, let's go back to Luke, let's go back to Luke and look at uh, chapter uh, 1 again. And uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. And uh, let's, let me give you the Scripture, then let me give you some statements here in the short amount of time I have left. Watch this. And uh, let's, actually, let's go over here to uh, verse... Uh, let's go over to chapter 2, Will, if you will. And, um, and I want you to see this in here. Uh, in verse 7 it says, And they brought forth his first son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and hid him in the manger because there was no room at the inn. And when the shepherds from the countryside came abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now see, some people said when you read traditionally they were asleep. They weren't asleep, they were watching by night. So shepherds don't sleep, otherwise they're sleeping on the job. All right? So, they were, they were, so these shepherds weren't sleeping. 
Tradition says there weren't any. I wanted to let you know, too, there wasn't a drummer boy there either. Okay? So not, nothing wrong with that song, but just he, he wasn't there. And uh, lo, the angel of the Lord came unto him with the glory of the Lord shone round about him, and they were sore afraid. The angel said to him, Fear not, behold, I am bringing you good tidings of great joy, which shall be all the people. For unto you, watch this, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The first announcement of his birth to mankind came through an angel that mankind got. Now, we know that Mary got one. We know that... uh, we also know that Joseph got one, but the first people outside the family that hear it are shepherds. And here's what they're told. In the city of David, the shepherd, that you, you have the same trade, the same, the same job description. He understood. They were doing it the same way for thousands of years. So at this point, he said, right now in the city of David, there is, a, there is right now a Savior. Now say, say this with me, a Savior. A Savior. Now listen close to that. A Savior. Capital S. A Savior. Not He wasn't here to, uh, to, bring, uh, to bring down Rome. He wasn't here to contest the political powers that were at hand. Although he could have, but that's not why he was there. He was born in political unrest. Man, what do you think about this just a few years later? Think about just after his, his, his birth, almost about 30-something years later, uh, you find that his first cousin, John, who Elizabeth was carrying, Six months earlier, they were just six months apart. And he was leading the way. And so he was, he was John, as we know him, the Baptist. But at, a, at an orgy, at a party, his head was beheaded. They brought it on a platter in the middle of a party. And I, after a woman was dancing, and you think about the, the vileness of this, the immorality of this, that the, the man, the king, is, his, in front of him is dancing, is his, is his uh, stepdaughter. And he's lusting after her. And so she said, he goes, I'll give you anything you want. So she runs back to her mom, which was they were in an adulterous relationship, and said, what, what should I get? What should I get? Get me the head of John the Baptist. He made a fool out of me in the middle of the street when he said, that woman that's with you right now isn't your wife. You're in adultery right now. Who told you that you could be baptized and repent? Bring me fruit of repentance. I like that statement, fruit of repentance. You know why? Fruit takes a while to grow. First, you got to have roots. Then you got to have the sprout. Then it's got to grow up into a tree. Then you got to get branches. You got to be watered sufficiently. Then the fruit begins to grow. So show me some fruit of repentance. First thing you do, do you first you guys got to do is dump each other, get rid of each other. That's not going very well. Merry Christmas. But see, you got to deal with scripture. If you're going to be a scriptural person, you got to be scriptural all the way, all the time. Amen. So she she held that hatred in John. And the moment came, get me the head of John. So she went over and said, I want the head of John on a charger. So they went to the jailhouse and cut his head off, beheaded him and brought it in on a charger. How sick is this? In front of everybody, bring the head of a dead man in the middle of their natural party while they're drinking and, and, uh, and pervertedness going on, and they bring this head in. Think about it. And they were celebrating over this man's death. And they bring it in. So harshness and all this horrendous acts that we see today, it's nothing new because there's a spirit of murder in the world. It's wicked. It's wicked. That spirit of murder just dealt with Nashville. That was a spirit of murder. That wasn't bombing. It was a spirit of murder that happened. When you see all these people that go in and they shoot somebody, then themselves, that's a spirit of murder. It's a vile spirit. It exists. People don't believe it does, but it exists. They don't realize all the stuff that goes on. This, the, the, it's a spiritual world, and it manipulates individuals to doing things. That, that's, it's important that we realize that. Uh, my father and I were watching a, a football game last night, and this, it was a college game, and uh, as he was, we were watching this game, uh, the quarterback went to the right, like he was going to throw the ball, and put his shoulders and then threw left, cross field. Made a beautiful touchdown. And the announcer came on and said, it's amazing what you could do when you can lead the, the offense, excuse me, the defense, with your eyes and your shoulder. He said, that's a good quarterback when you can get them to go another direction when you, you're going to go the other. And oftentimes, God doesn't do that. God stands in front of you and woos you to follow him. He doesn't deceive you. Right. Satan will tell you, it's better over there. 
and he takes all your blessing, and you miss it over there. And you go this way, oh, man, there it goes. Because everything looks good on the other side. I've oftentimes said the grass is not greener on the other side. It's just artificial. It's artificial turf, ladies and gentlemen. Now watch this. So if we're going to look at this verse, he's the Savior. Okay, who is the Savior? Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Colossians 1, 15. Are you ready? Let me give you some verses. Because if you don't know who's in the, if you don't know who's in the manger, you won't know who you identify with. You won't know who it was that was walking the steps of the journey. You won't know who it was that laid his life down. Watch this. Just a few verses. Colossians 1, 15. Watch this. When they looked into that, when you see that manger scene, Away in the manger. When you look into that manger, what do you see? Watch this. Who is the image of the first of the image of the of image of God, the visible God, and the firstborn of every creature? Who is the image of the invisible God? Who was that in, in the inside that manger? He was the very image of the invisible God, bringing a, a visibility to somebody you naturally couldn't see. So when you they handled Jesus. As a baby, they were handling the Word made flesh. This was spiritual matter. Now in flesh. This is what you and I do. This is why it's so hard. Listen to me. You are more spiritual than you are natural. It's such that your natural still talks louder sometimes. But you're more spiritual. There are more things you do spiritually day by day. And it's just not fighting spiritual battles. Getting up in the morning and the first words out of your mouth is Jesus. That's a spiritual thing. Before you were born again, you didn't do that. You didn't do that before you were first born again. No, you did not. But now that you're born again, oh, man. In the middle of the day, you have the, you have the audacity to raise your hand in the middle of the day. Thank you, Jesus. In the middle of the day, who does stuff like that? We do. People that are born of the Spirit of God, people that are rich in faith, people that are unashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, people who know who, they're, who they are, people who know their rights in God, people who are excited in God, enthusiastic about God, those kind. Those individuals who look at Jesus as the image of the invisible God. So I have this image of me. And he is the firstborn. In the natural, he's the firstborn off the cross, off the resurrection and the ascension. He's the firstborn of every creature. And, that, and we are creatures of Almighty God, born of the Spirit of God. So when you look at that manger, listen, what came? That Savior, he was the image of the invisible God. God wanted you so bad. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. 1 Timothy 2, 5. Oh, this is good. Now, we have a, there's so many gods today, and I like how Terry Mize put it. Oh, it'd be, it would, listen, there's so many people that worship so many different gods today. And, you know, because we love people so much, you wish that their worship of those gods would work, but it don't. It will not. Now, when there's over 3,000 Buddhas, which one are you going to worship? People think there's only one. There is not. There, there is not. You know, we've gone through there. We've been through there. And uh, when I was in, uh, uh, in, in uh, Pakistan and I was in Th- Thailand and, and, uh, uh, and we were ministering there, and we would go through there and you have all the monks there from the different, different worships levels, from Buddha to, uh, to Mohammedism, to different things. But it was interesting to watch the Buddhists and the temples. And many times when the parents could not financially handle their children or sons, because not daughters, sons, they would give their son to the temple. And they were raised by the monks. And so starting at about four or five years old, you see the, the boys going with the monks. And they shave all their head, put their little robes on them, and they'd stay with the monks the rest of their life. Because they knew they'd be provided for. Here's why. Because they're trained in their mindset that, number one, we have mailboxes in front of our house. So think in the terms of mailbox. But imagine your, your mailbox looking like a house that looks nothing like the house they live in. It's a nice, big, giant home. People that are a little bit more wealthy build big, giant boxes that look like homes out in front. And what they do in the back of that house, it's got two sides. It slides open. And on one side, they put food in it and an envelope with money in it. And any monk walks by, can open it from the front and open it up. And they take the food and they take the envelope and that's how they're fed. So every morning they get up and you see thousands of monks walking through the streets. They're walking among us. 
<laughs> I looked at it and I thought he would say that. <laughs> but it's <laughs> but it's so interesting that these people will do this. And the bigger the house, the bigger the food, and the wealthier the family. And the, here's what they say, better the blessing. Longer life, longer health. This is what they think. And so we, which we want them to be right, but they're not right. They're not right. That's not how you do this. See, you can't feed God food. You can't feed God food. God feeds you spiritual food. You give him back honor and worship. You give him back your life. You give him back your praise. You give him back respect. Watch this. 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God. There is one God. There is one God. When they beheld that baby in that manger, they were beholding one God. That's all. That, that was it. One God. One God. Of, watch this. And one mediator. One God. And then this. One mediator. Only one. Only one mediator between God and man and the man Christ Jesus. In that, in that manger that day, when you, they came and they beheld him, they were looking at only one God. That's it, just one God. There weren't many, just one. And he's laying there and his name is Jesus. And he is the Savior and he is Christ the Lord. He is Savior. This is who was born. Now, you got to get that. He is one God. Listen, if you only have one God, then stop allowing circumstances to rule you. Don't let the challenges of the day rule you. They can't. All life, every, every circumstance, situation, bows to the one and only God. His name is Jesus. Every name, every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And you'll do it because that name is so great. At the name of Jesus, at the name of your Savior, at the name of the only God, the image of all, the invisible God, that God, that is who we bow to. That's what gives us hope. That's what gives us comfort. There's only one God. Ladies and gentlemen, there's only one God. Your problem's not God. Stop exalting it. Stop talking about it. Stop talking about your challenges, your situations. It's not your pain that was taken on the cross. It's not your disease that was taken on the cross. No, your God did that. He took it away from you. Then why am I in pain? Because you have a natural body, but you also have an inner man known as your spiritual man, the hidden man of the heart. And we speak from here. For out of the abundance of heart, a man does speak. And we have what we say. In Jesus' name. We have what we say. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. This is how this works. We have what we say. I was, I was reading an account of a, uh, of a man back in the 30s. And he was talking about how he went to, they were asked, he was asked to go pray for somebody. See, we're talking about the 30s now. And the, and the type of, of uh, technology we have today obviously didn't exist then. But a man had a stroke, and his stroke had left him. He was a preacher, but he had been uh, out, and so they asked this other preacher to come, and he came, and he said, uh, what's, the, what's the situation here? And he said, I've got a stroke, and I can't move my arms and my leg. And he says, can't or won't? He said, excuse me, he goes, can't or won't? He says, I can't. He says, then you won't. He said, the preacher goes, he says, I thought you were going to pray for me. I can't, because you won't. If you will not receive, it's impossible to pray a prayer for you. And he said, your problem isn't the paralysis in your leg or your arm. The problem is the paralysis in your faith. He said, for years you preached and didn't believe what you preached. He said, so stop saying that. He goes, matter of fact, stop saying it for five days and I'll be back. He walked out. Now, some people think that'd be rude, crude. But how could, dare you? You're a minister of the gospel. You're supposed to pray for people. Now, if they don't want prayer. And now, if they're not prepared. He's a preacher. Been preaching all these years. And so, he came back. He said, are you ready? He said, I believe I am. He said, okay. He said, then if Jesus bore your sickness and disease, he bore stroke and all the symptoms go with it. So what are you doing laying in bed? Guy goes, glory to God, you're right. And jumped out of bed. All it took was not 20 doctors, not $50,000, 
It took somebody to tell him he had paralysis of your faith. Get up. Now, that's not to say that the people that are in the hospital don't have any faith. That's not what I said. So don't go, why do you say that? I didn't say that. I'm saying that this is what this man had to tell this preacher in regards to that. There's only one God. Paralysis is not your God. Amen. This, this is not it. Oh, yeah, it was just over the holidays. Somebody told me, well, I was helping them do something, and they looked behind me, and they looked back, and they said, Art, don't ever stroke out. And I said, I never will stroke out, never will. Stroke's not in my vocabulary. Not my vocabulary. I don't talk it. I don't talk it. I don't speak stroke. I don't speak it. Amen. My body's well, healthy, and strong in Jesus' name. I got an assignment until I'm 80, and then I really kick off. There's only one God. There's only one mediator, only one person between God the Father and, and, our, and our life, and that's Jesus Christ. Only one mediator can do what he did. And men, and watch this, and the man Christ Jesus. Go to John 14, 6, and let me close with this verse of Scripture. Anytime you look in the manger, I want you to see this verse of Scripture John 14, 6. When you look in that manger, Jesus said unto him, I am the way. In that manger was the one who was the way. I am. In that manger was the I am. I don't know if you can identify this or not, but that's who was in there. He made this statement years later. I understand that. But everything was in him. Everything was in him. But he had to say it. When he was saying it, he was saying it with such authority, it was manifesting. In just 30 years of doing that. All these scriptures, you ought to be able to say this. I'm not the way, but I am part of the way because I'm part of Jesus Christ. But I am the blessed. I am the saved. I am the healed. I am the one above only and not beneath. I am the one that what I set my hands to prospers. I am that shall not die. I shall live and declare the glories of God. I am the one that keep my mind straight. I will meditate on the word of God. day. I, that's me. I am. I am doing that. I am the way. Now Jesus was in this scripture. He was saying he was pointing the way. He was not saying I'm going to divulge the way. He said, no, if you want to go to the I am the way. I am the only way. There is no other way. I am it. And then he goes, then he makes another statement, which is very important. He said, and I am the truth. I am the truth. So John 14, 6, he gives you three elements of his life. I am the truth. He didn't say I'm a bunch of facts. He said, I am the truth. Here's what Pilate said. What is truth? What is truth? He asked the wrong question. He should have said, who is truth? Who is truth? Manifesting of truth is just not telling something. It's it's living the life. You have to live truth. You have to get up every morning and live truth. You have to face realities of scripture realities of who you are and understand where you're at. So I am the truth. It's not just a series of facts. It's the truth of who we are. It's just truth. I'm blessed. It's truth. You're blessed. You've been crowned with glory. You ought to be blessed. Amen. You ought to rejoice evermore. You ought to get excited. Amen. You ought to be thrilled. Every day of your life, you ought to be thrilled. Amen. This, this, and people will challenge you with this. People challenge, from a natural standpoint, people will challenge you when, you when you get blessed. When you get richly blessed, people will challenge you. My, my wife and I, we moved one time. We lived in uh, quite a few years in the city of Marietta. We had a large piece of property there. And we moved there, and I was only there three days, living there, three days. When a man pulled up, and, and we had long, we had in the front of our house over an acre, and I'm sitting out in front, and I'm walking around, look, checking all the weeds out and everything else, and checking the fence out and walking the line. And uh, so this guy pulls up, and he goes, hey, come here, come here. Yeah, he goes, uh, could you give me the owner? I'd like to speak to him. I said, what, what can I help you with? He goes, I don't want to talk to the gardener. I want to talk to the owner. <laughs> See, because he assumed since I was Hispanic, I was the gardener. I didn't live there. So I had to be the guard. I was in jeans, I had a t-shirt, and I had a baseball cap on, and so, so obviously. So I said, well, I am the owner. And he goes, you're the owner, and he said this to me, but you're a Mexican. <laughs> he goes, how, how could you afford this house? I said, do you live in this area? He goes, yeah. I go, how did you afford it? How did you afford it? <laughs> he said, well, well I, I work. I said, so do I. So do I. And so he said, he goes, well, Mexicans can't live here. I said, they are now. He goes, what's your name? I go, what's your name? So he told me his name. I said, listen, you're on that side of the gate. 
As long as you stay sat that side of the gate, you and I are going to be friends. Yeah. Don't come on this side of the gate, or you'll see what this Mexican can do. Now get in your truck, your brand new truck, and drive away. Talk to you later. And a week later, I get this notice in my mail that my lights were too bright in the front of my house. I, didn't, I found out later he was the president of the HOA in my community. So he wrote me up. Now, here's you got to understand this. I just moved in. The front house lights, and I had 10 canisters out front along the fence. All of them were burnt out. So how could the lights be too bright? Light. Too bright. Now, listen. So I, I, called, the, I called them. I said, uh, I called the, the HOA, and I said, what are the code for the lights? Obviously, if, I, if my lights are too bright and they're burnt out, what, what is the code? What is the wattage that I can use? I said, we don't know. I said, well, how do you know they're too bright? I said, so give me a, give me a number, 40, 60, 75, 100. What's, what's the code? They give me, so I said, well, send me a book. They never sent me one. So my lights were burnt out. I had to put new ones in. So in each light, each canister had four lights. So I got bright lights, the daylight ones, and about 100 watts in for each one. Dr. Dufresne lived next door to me, and he said that my house looked like a runway. You could land a plane there. He said they could have probably saw from space. He goes, I put bright lights all through the whole house. He goes, you lit that place up. He goes, don't you know people like it dark here? I said, well, I don't know. But see, and so then when they came back, nobody said anything about my lights. I bought that house, and for 15 years they had a little thing to cover the horses there. And they would walk the horses in a circle. They came back and said that was illegally put there. I had to tear it down. Or I would be fined $25,000. Wow. So I had somebody tear it down. And we just put it on the ground. So it sat there. But I didn't put it up. You will always be fought for your prosperity. And so anytime you prosper, other people will look at you and say, you don't belong here. Well, yes, I do. I belong to the throne. I belong to be blessed. And I don't apologize for being blessed. I don't apologize for being healthy. I don't apologize for being, for being who I am in Christ and knowing the realities of this. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And if he's, He is the life, then you and I ought to be living the life. We ought to be living this life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. That statement right there, all of us should be in caps. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So the whole reason that Jesus was in the, it was in the manger was so that all men could come to the Father. Jesus was the way maker. Not just for a breakthrough so you could have financial blood. No, he was the way maker to the Father. That's the highest level of prosperity you will ever have in your life. Highest level of prosperity is Jesus Christ. If you were encouraged by today's message and believe it would be uplifting to others, then be sure to rate us and hit subscribe. To experience more of Heritage, visit us at www.heritageff.org. Again, thank you for listening to the Heritage Podcast today. And remember, Jesus is Lord.